Do the small things really matter to God? I mean, after all, he's the king of the universe. He's got everything, right? So many today view God as some sort of eccentric curiosity at best, a superstition or a laughable anachronism at worst. Most of our fellow Americans, and I would say most Europeans, seem to tolerate the idea of God as long as he minds his own business. Stay out of mind. Even professing Christians bristle at the thought that he would give them so many thou shalt nots, let alone a few thou shalts. That's a legalistic God, they say, the God of the Old Testament. After all, they remind us, I have a brain. I know what I should do. I can make my own choices. I'm, a, I'm an adult. There's a song that was done in 1968 by Paul Anka. He had been in France vacationing. He heard this pop song playing there. The song was Comme d'habitude, as usual. And he liked the tune so much that he bought the rights to it. And he immediately set about writing new lyrics in English. And he wrote them specifically for one singer, Frank Sinatra. The song is entitled, I Did It My Way. It really encapsulates the attitude of, I'm going to do things the way I want to. I'll read you some of the lyrics here. You see the humility in it. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Uh, I did what I had to do, and I saw it through without exception. I planned each charted course, after each careful step along the byway, oh, and more. Much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed, I've cried, I've had my fails and my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. To think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way. Oh no, no, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the words he truly feels and not the words he would reveal. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. I think most of us would agree that Frank Sinatra did indeed do it his way. Think about it. How about that? Does any of this apply to us? Do we sometimes do things our way? Do we think about God? Does it matter how we live our lives? Do, are we the arbiters of truth? Are we the arbiters of the way to live? Does it matter how we approach God in our relationship with him? Does it really matter if we obey him or not? Does he, as they say in the vernacular, sweat the details? The philosopher 
George Santayana wrote the off-quoted phrase, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. The Bible is full of lessons for our benefit. Lessons that we are reminded of in Romans 15, verse 4. I'll read this to you. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, for us to understand that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. We see that people go through difficult times, maybe even periods of their life that are very, very difficult. Think of Joseph. And yet, God can pull them through seemingly insurmountable circumstances. Can he do that for us? Yes, he can. There's a similar passage found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now all these things that we see written in the the faith chapter, people whose faith was tested, all these things happened to them as examples, and, and they were written for our admonition, our instruction, our understanding, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's us, brethren. That's us. Clearly, there are examples in the Bible we need to pay attention to in order to avoid mistakes and trials that might come with them. Many of these examples focus on the importance of how we conduct our relationship with God. Others focus on our relationship with our fellow man. Jesus noted these two critical points in Matthew 12, verses 30 through 31. He explained the two thrusts of the Ten Commandments were love of God and to love our fellow man as ourselves. Well, today we're going to focus on our relationship with God to come to understand how God views our conduct concerning him. Let's begin by reviewing a story in the Old Testament. It holds a great lesson for us today. Let's turn over to the book of Revelation, probably the book of Le- uh, Leviticus. And we're going to read the story about two men who in essence took their relationship with God very, very lightly. They took all of the instruction that God gave them very lightly. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8. Here we read about the consecration of Aaron and his two sons as priests before God. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. I want you to think about those words. He did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Throughout these three chapters, we see these words a lot. 
Moses is passing on God's detailed instructions to the Aaronic priesthood to be carried out. Verse 6, Then Moses brought Aaron and his two sons, and he washed them with water, cleansing them, preparing them for consecration. Then Moses brought Aaron and his two sons, and washed them with water, and he put the tunic on him, speaking of Aaron, girded him with a sash, clothed him with a robe, put the ephod on him. Then he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it he tied the ephod upon him. Then he put on him the breastplate, and he put on the Urim and Thummim in the breastplate. Then he put the turban on his head, also the turban on his front. He put a golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Lots of details. You notice? Lots of details. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them, set them apart for a holy purpose. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the labor and its base and to consecrate them. And he poured the oil, poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head to anoint him, to consecrate him. Verse 13, then Moses brought Aaron's sons, basically doing the same thing to them. He put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Does God sweat the details? And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. And Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some of the on the horns and of the altar all around it with his finger. And he purified the altar. And he poured blood on the base of the altar to, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Interesting term, isn't it? We normally think of atonement as forgiving our sins. But this is to make, prepare it for holy use. Because God wanted it that way for a specific purpose. It had to be the receptacle of offerings. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe that was attached to the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull... It's hide, it's flesh, and it's offal, the fat. He burned with fire outside the camp. And the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see how many times we see that phrase? As the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of it. I want you to keep something in mind. To this point, until Aaron is consecrated and set apart, Moses is the high priest. He's acting in that role for Israel. He's the intermediary. So there's a a transition from Moses to Aaron taking place here as far as the priesthood. That's what's happening here in the consecration ceremony. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around the altar, Then he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, as the offering was made by fire to the Lord, 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the second ram, which is for a separate offering here, the ram of consecration. That first offering was a sin offering. This one is to consecrate these men as priests. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. What are they doing here? They're confessing their sins so that they can be forgiven or covered over. And Moses killed it. And he also took some of its blood and put on the tip of Aaron's right ear. Think about this. What's what's happening here? And on the thumb of his right hand and on the, the big toe of his right foot. That's a little strange, don't you think? You're thinking, wow, what's happening here? And Moses sprinkled blood all around the altar. The ear represents hearing. It's our hearing and willingness to listen to God and to heed his instructions. So what God is highlighting here is he's consecrating these ears so they will hear him, that will be attuned to him, to listen to him. Think about the right thumb. Right thumb is the difference between you and a monkey. (laughs) You have an opposable thumb. You can grab things. It's our ability to do work. So this is our actions. These are our actions. Now think about the big toe. What do you think? Ever had a ever seen a person that's had their big toe amputated? They have to relearn to walk because they can't balance anymore. Your big toe gives you a foundation. It balances you. It keeps you upright. It enables you to walk. This is our walk with God. It keeps us on the straight and narrow. So God is highlighting all of these things to these men so they will understand the importance of their role. And first and foremost, listen. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling you. Does God sweat the details? Verse 25, then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that were on, was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer. So three kinds of unleavened bread here. And he put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he put these things in Aaron's hands and his son's hands, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. One of the things you cannot help but notice here is there's a tremendous amount of detail that God is giving these these men and showing all of Israel at the same time. The actions required are precise. It's setting the tone for what follows. Verse 28 Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar, on the burnt offering that he had offered up previously. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration, as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him, and consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with them. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings. As I commanded, he's speaking on behalf of God, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire reminds you of Passover, doesn't it? And you shall not go outside the door of tabernacle of meeting for seven days until your days of consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. Seven meaning a, a time of completion. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore, you shall stay at the door of tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all these things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Aaron and his sons proceed to follow these meticulous instructions on how to conduct sin and peace offerings, part of the consecration ceremony after the seven days of their purification had ended. Then we read what many people find a very troubling passage here, down in verse 9, pardon me, chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, and we'll begin in verse 22. Leviticus 9, verse 22 Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from the offering of the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. This is is phenomenal here. You can imagine you are in the crowd here. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Why? Because they were afraid. The presence of God was among them, and they saw it. They felt it. So God acknowledges these actions were done as he had specified, and he allows his glory to be seen and sends fire down from heaven to consume these offerings. There's more on that fire a little bit later. According to Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, quote, it's sometimes stated that God's glory is the external manifestation of his being. We see that in sometimes the, the glory appears, as we see in Exodus 16, verse 10. Sometimes it is revealed, as we see in Isaiah 40, verse 5, or it can be seen, as we see in Numbers 14, 22. So this public manifestation was extremely important as a sign of confirmation that God had accepted this offering. It was done in accordance with the specifications he had given them. Now what we have is this account is about a rehearsing of details that God expected of these high priests, of the high priest and his sons. They were to be carried out and minutiae Minutia, that every small detail mattered. Does God sweat the details? I think we see that he does. 
Now we see these instructions were specific, but there was also the expectation that they were to be approached with great care and executed precisely. It was a life or death situation, wasn't it? That's what God said. That you may live. This is an important detail when we see what comes next. Here's Leviticus chapter 10. And this is what many people find. Well, these men were just doing their job, right? Leviticus 10 verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. They put incense on it and offered profane fire. King James calls it strange fire. The NIV calls it unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So something was wrong with this fire that these two men had used. Now God had given them painfully intricate details of how he wanted things to be done. That they, if they were executed properly, that they would live. Right? But something had gone wrong. And we read in Leviticus 10 what God thought about their situation and how he reacted. Leviticus 10 verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured or killed them since their bodies and robes were not consumed, as we read in verses 4 through 5. But they died before the Lord. God took their lives for this offering, this strange fire. So why had the offering in Leviticus 9 verse 24 prompted a fire of acceptance from God, while this offering... A fire of destruction. One indicated God's blessing, the other indicated God's curse. Well, several explanations have been offered. Some commenters note that Nadab and Abihu may have put ordinary coals into their censers, which were not from the altar of the burnt offering, in contrast to what God had commanded. The fire was to come exactly from that altar, and that one only. We see that in Leviticus 16, verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of the burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. That was the only place the coals should have come from. With his hands full, with his hands full, of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the, the testimony, the ark of testimony, lest he die. Everything was serious to God here. God was very specific in his instructions, and he was serious about being followed. Now keep in mind that Leviticus 6 verse 9 says, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because the burning of the altar all night to the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. This fire was to never go out. It was to always be kept going. Even when they were transported, that fire was kept going. 
And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering on it in order, uh, in order on it, and he shall burn the fat and the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. This is verse 13. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Why? Because this was a special fire. It had come from God on that, uh, that, off, that offering that was done in Leviticus 9. The two added incense to the coals. Now this was something that was only reserved for the high priest to do. They had taken on a role that was not theirs. The regular priest was prohibited from this act. We see in Exodus 30, verse 9. Exodus 30, verse 9. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Speaking of the, the tabernacle and particularly the, the altar there. That wasn't their job. That was the job of the high priest. That was Aaron's role at this point. The critical commentary and explanatory in the whole Bible offers this explanation of Leviticus 10 verses 1 through 20. It says, 1. The sons of Aaron, if this incident occurred at the solemn period of the consecrating, some argue that they were still in the consecration period when they died, that these young men assumed an office which had been committed to Moses, or if they were sometime after, it was an encroachment on the duties which devolved to their father alone as the high priest. But the offense was far more aggravated in nature than such an informality would imply. It consisted not only of their venturing unauthorized to perform the incense service, the highest and most solemn of the priestly offices, not only in their engaging in the work, which was the duty only of one, but in their presuming to intrude on the holy of holies. See, only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. And when could he do that? On the Day of Atonement. All these things had been explained to them, but they seemed to have no idea of what they were doing. To which access was denied to all but the high priest alone. In this respect, they offered strange fire before the Lord. They were guilty of a presumptuous and un unwarranted intrusion into the sacred office which did not belong to them. But their offense was more aggravated still, for instead of taking the fire which was put in their censers from the brazen altar, they seemed to be content with common fire and thus perpetuated an act, considering the descent into of the miraculous fire that they had so recently witnessed and the solemn obligation under which it was laid that they might use it in a specifically appropriate service of the altars. They betrayed a carelessness and irreverence and want of faith, most surprising and lamentable. Others will note, perhaps they were drunk. Maybe they had a little wine. The reason being, turn with me over to Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse 8. <coughs> Because immediately after this event, this instruction comes down. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, not Moses. He spoke to Aaron saying, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you. 
when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between the holy and unholy and between the clean and unclean. Three, some assert that Nadab and Abihu's attempt to enter the holy place was inappropriate time. Leviticus 16, verse 1. Turn with me there. Leviticus 16, verse 1. Here we see God commenting on their death. Leviticus 16, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. You don't come. You don't pick your time when you come to the ark. You don't come before the mercy seat just at any time you want to. I have given you the time when you come. For I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. Perhaps all three of these Explanations had merit. But Moses made it clear that the fundamental problem was that Nadab and Abihu had not regarded God as holy. They didn't consider him holy and had not glorified him before the people by their conduct. Instead, Nadab and Abihu did things their way. After all, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's Fire's fire, right? I got some hot coals over here. It doesn't matter where they come from. Not really. God's not going to see it. You think we are ever that way? God won't see it. It's dark. I think God has infrared vision. Instead, they had done it their way. Leviticus 10, verse 3. Leviticus 10, verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke. Again, going back to the source of information, the source of right and wrong, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as what? As holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Holy means to be set apart. To be set apart. To treat as special. It's consecrated. That's what the whole consecration ceremony is for. To set these men apart. To make them holy so that they can act on behalf of the congregation, right? The details were important. Glory, glorified means to be honored. To be held in the highest of esteem. The manner in which Nadab and Abihu had approached their duties was not only careless. Their very approach to God was so casual, they didn't treat him as holy. And they did not glorify him before the people. They didn't honor God. They didn't honor his commandments. Now to many on the surface, the story of Nadab and Abihu sounds like a harsh and exacting and a cruel God. It must have been very difficult for Aaron and his family, not only to lose his two sons this way, at a time when it should have been happy. 
They had just been set apart for a very special job among the people of Israel. But he was not even allowed to grieve for his sons. Why? Because what they had done was so angering to God. Can you imagine that? Lose your sons. They die, two of them, and you can't even grieve. Hard. But God's laws, his prescriptions for our behavior, and his expectations are there for a reason. He's teaching us something. He's giving us instruction. He's teaching us that the details matter. They mattered. And Nadab and Abihu didn't take that to heart. Question, do God's details matter to us and how we live our lives? Do we hold ourselves accountable for following God, for pursuing, becoming like Jesus Christ every day, for changing, for growing, for overcoming? Do we do that? Or do we take it to the cavalier matter? It doesn't matter where the, where the coals come from. They're coals. It's fire. Come on. I'll just whip out my Zippo. For my younger people, a Zippo is a a lighter. I I sometimes forget. Their attitude, that casual attitude, angered God and cost them their lives. Most of mankind is not really concerned about what God thinks. Are we? Are we? There will come a time when people who have not put in the hard work now, the work of overcoming, the work of of letting God work in you, remake you, refashion you, refashion your mind, your thoughts, If you haven't put in that work now, there will be gnashing of teeth. Do we realize that? God is serious. He does sweat the details. Throughout history, men have created systems of worship that have set up men as the final arbiters of right and wrong. They've installed a class system of men to rule over others. Superior, self-serving. We see this in Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity. Deference, adoration, adherence are directed toward a human being, not to God. God is left out of the picture. Worshippers don't think of themselves as servants of God. Rather, God is there to serve them. God, I need you now, otherwise stay out of my business. That's the way this world is living. As we read of the account in Leviticus 8 through 10 concerning Nadab and Abihu, one overarching lesson rings out. God is serious, and he will be taken seriously. Question for us, are we taking this lesson seriously? Let's take this heart, take this lesson to heart, brethren. Nadab and Abihu made a big mistake, and it cost them their lives. Let's make this lesson our own. Let's understand that God is holy. 
And he wants us to glorify him in our worship and our lives. You see, God wants us to worship him his way, not our own.